This is Beyond the Couch with Bridges, a podcast at the intersection of Asian Pacific Islander, South Asian American identity and mental health. I'm Christy. I'm Sam. And I'm Diana. We are three therapists who got together in the hopes of demystifying therapy and uplifting stories from our community. Each week, we'll connect with fellow therapists, experts, and community members about life, identity, and healing. We're so glad you're joining us today. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Couch with Bridges Mental Health. I'm Diana, and I'm joined today by Pallavi Ankulaker. Welcome, Pallavi. It's so nice to have you here today. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And I'm just going to let everyone know that this is our second attempt at recording (laughs) this podcast because the first time we had some audio issues. So we're coming back again today to talk about money, about money mindset, about the challenges that Pallavi has been seeing in her work with her clients. But before we get there, I'd love to hear more about how you came into the work of being a therapist and feel free to share about yourself too. Yeah, I think I have a story similar to a lot of folks who come into this field, right? When I was a teenager, I struggled with depression and, you know, being South Asian, it wasn't really seen as like a thing to address. It was just like, oh, just, you know, don't be sad or don't think about sad things or, you know, things could be worse. So it was really tough to really understand what was going on with me and like not feel shame towards it. Um, There was a high school psychologist I went to at one point to like just talk about what was going on. And I felt really misunderstood in like my session with her. I think I only saw her like twice. It just felt like a lot of, I felt like really a lot of blame and that shame came up again. And it made me just like not ever want to go back to therapy. And I just thought like, if I can be an experience for another person where they don't have to go through that, they don't have to think like, this is what therapy is. That's you feel just bad about yourself at the end. Cause that's how I felt. I just felt really bad. And I just don't want anyone to go through that. And so that's how I came to this field. So other people who look like me or have experiences like me can have that space to feel like themselves and not feel like they need to hide anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that speaks to so many people's, you know, experiences with therapy because it is hard to find the right therapist. And I know that it took me a couple of times as well. And I think the the first person that I saw, I didn't really even know that that person wasn't right for me. I thought it was me. I thought, hmm, okay, well, this is what therapy is. I guess I'm just going to have to try it out. <laughs> Maybe something will happen, right? Yeah. And it's such a shame, like not knowing, oh, that's just like not a good fit. There's something wrong with you. It's mm. that, you know, just like dating, we just have to find our right fit. Yeah. 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 And I think there's much more talk about therapy these days. And with therapists being on Instagram, you can find, you know, all of this information in different forms. So that's really helpful. Just learning about the process of therapy, how to find a therapist has been helpful, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's nice that you can kind of see what people are like before meeting with them because a lot of therapists do have social media. So you already see things that they care about or, you know, the information they put out, see if they, you know, feel like a good fit for you, which is nice. Yeah. So, you know, when we put out the call to interview people about different 
issues that we as therapists are seeing in our work, you had replied immediately wanting to talk about the challenges that children of immigrants, especially of the Asian diaspora, have with investing money on themselves. And so I'm curious to find out why that was top of mind for you or why you think it shows up in the work. Yeah, I know for myself, that's something I have struggled with of buying or paying for things that I know are good for me, but can feel like a luxury, feel like mm-hmm. a not necessity. I think for a lot of children of immigrants, especially a lot of times when, you know, our parents or whoever comes to a new country, right? It's a lot all about like safety and all about just having like the necessities. And so then I think I still grew up as like an adult now, still feel like, is this a necessity? Do I need this? Even if it's something that would be beneficial, but doesn't seem like, you know, it's not just like shelter and like food, water, whatever it is. It's like, oh, a massage because I'm really tense and sore. Like that is nice. And it's like a maintenance thing, right? It still helps you with your physical and mental health. Uh, even if it doesn't feel like a bare necessity item or it feels like a luxury item. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also wondering if, you know, sometimes the way we grow up, we learn that certain things are necessities and certain things aren't. And it might take a while for us to recategorize things, right? Or or even prioritize wants, right? Right, reframing what like a necessity looks like. Because for many of us, I think we can try to expand ourselves outside that zone of needing safety or like immediate needs of like, oh, these are other things that will be helpful for me. And I feel like mental health and therapy is one of those things where it feels like such a luxury to pursue it. And, you know, it's not definitely the most affordable thing in the world sometimes. It does feel super important to have. And even for me, when I first started going into therapy as an adult, I like spending the money felt really uncomfortable. And I didn't know how to feel about spending this much money on something that wasn't my rent. It wasn't my my groceries. But then when I found like a really good therapist, I was like, oh, this is so worth it to have this space where I feel heard and validated and seen and don't feel like I need to just deal with everything by myself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a great example. And I was actually talking to a few therapists yesterday. We had our bridges meetup yesterday and, you know, the topic of fees and things like that came up and yeah, even, even therapists are, are thinking about money and thinking about what feels like the right amount. And I think that it's really hard to, really understand the value of something if you haven't had a good experience, number one, right? Right. Absolutely. And I think because resilience especially is so prioritized or really like passed down, if you are a second generation, you are likely very used to dealing with a lot of challenges, maybe within the family, helping family, having to be strong and all these things, right? And so the idea of of like, do I need this? Do I need therapy? I mean, I could keep going. And maybe mm-hmm. that's that's a attitude or perspective that some people may have. Yeah. And especially with, if we talk about how rise and grind culture was so 
important to a lot of us for a time mm-hmm. that we just like didn't think about our feelings. So I don't think yeah. any of us were really in touch with our bodies. We weren't really thinking about our mm-hmm. emotions. And then when we were forced into slowing down, it's like, oh, I think a lot of people felt that rush of like, oh, these are all the things that was holding back or I yeah. was like trying to push down. Yeah. And, you know, the that that culture originally presents itself as something to to you know strive towards right because it feels like success if we mm-hmm. can do that for ourselves for our family or because there are sometimes you know the generational sort of mm-hmm. goals that are passed down right i mean i think immigrants are the original like rise and grinds of mm-hmm. <laughs> the world mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. just like i think about my dad who worked every single day for like i don't know 20 years like i think he's taken like three vacations I want to say in that time and just worked every single day and thinking about that now as an adult of like going to work and I I can't imagine like not having a weekend or not having downtime or not you know enjoying a vacation like I can't imagine what that was like for him and it was you know through not having another choice like you have to do it yeah 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 and just kind of like speaks to the importance of work and and money and what it represents and definitely that what you said earlier safety right financial safety and security um and i'm curious what else comes up for your clients or in your work with like some of the beliefs about money i know for uh folks they would like build up their savings and feel really good about savings and that's great and then at one point if the work is not going well, or like they're unhappy with their employer. There's always that idea of like, I need to find something else before leaving. I need Mm -hmm. to have something else lined up. And sometimes we just have conversations like, well, you know, how would it feel to maybe, you know, leave work and like have some time for yourself, you know, don't worry about the stress of working or if you need a break, because like we all deserve breaks at some point. And I think folks get really hesitant about using their savings for something like that, of like taking care of yourself, taking care of your physical and mental health after like, you know, go, go, going for so long. I know I, I understand that we all have a, our savings for some reason, mm-hmm. but I think using that money just for ourselves or, you know, not non-emergency purposes or like just to take care of ourselves in some way is really uncomfortable for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like something that really limits the way we interact or the way we use money, right? What other um, sort of negative beliefs do you find in the way that we think about money? (laughs) I think a lot of it does come from this money is not for me or like I can't use it on myself. Mm. I know for myself too, it was really challenging to use money for things that I just want and maybe not is like one of those bare necessities, right? So thinking about going on a vacation or getting your hair done, getting your nails done, getting a massage, anything that feels too luxurious to be just for ourselves and not for others. I think, you know, growing up, seeing my mom 
how she handled money was kind of spending on anyone else besides herself, like mm. never really buying herself new clothes if she needed it, not uh, spending money on anything that she particularly wanted for herself. It was always prioritizing the family's needs in front of mm-hmm. her own. And I think that just like kind of, even if it's not a direct thing that someone's saying to you, it kind of seeps in, right? Like you're seeing how people uh, navigate finances. And if you're consistently seeing people not spend money on themselves or not you know, prioritize their own needs, then you don't feel comfortable doing that for yourself. Yeah. It's like you're learning that spending money frivolously or just learning with that <laughs> word, how it applies, right? Frivolous spending is is negative. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is underlying that? Like if I spent on something that wasn't a necessity, what is on the other side of that? What's the fear? Well, for me, my main fear was like the judgment for my my parents if I told them like how much I spent on something and that still comes up today mm-hmm. like if I say I went somewhere or did something one of the first questions is oh how much did it cost and then that continues to build up that like negative belief of yeah. like I can't spend money on myself of like how much did that cost and then like the response it's usually not like happy yeah. <laughs> just like oh and I'm just like oh should I have not done that for myself even though it was something I needed and something that I didn't regret at all but then it's like it plants a little seed of doubt like oh did I need that I don't I don't know but I know for me that's been like a big barrier of I guess like the judgment or shame I would receive as a response to spending money on myself yeah yeah and I'm sure many people experience that as well and what has helped you with that So it's a constant work in progress, but Mm -hmm. something that I think has been helpful is to really be present in whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever I'm like using that money for and how it makes me feel. If I just like connect with myself and like those feelings, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I felt really relaxed after this, or I felt like a weight lifted off myself after this. And it's so important to understand that there is an effect, there is a usually positive effect of prioritizing yourself or taking care of yourself in these ways that I don't know if we always acknowledge that part, like the the effect. Yeah, no, I really like what you said about, you know, being mindful, right? Being intentional when you're spending money and really noticing the impact that it has on you, whatever it is that you spent that money on, I think so often we just, you know, rush through things and and maybe there's a negative feeling when we pay for something, you know, just because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm spending money and maybe I don't like that feeling. I'm just going to do it anyway or something. But being able to focus on what you're actually spending it on, right? And and evaluate like, hey, was this a good use? Was this something I enjoyed? Yes. That makes it really clear to you for the next time, right? That you, you now know that, oh, this is, this is something that I will enjoy. This is something that's valuable to me. Yeah. And if it feels important enough, then we could put aside money for that. We could plan for that. We could save for those things of, Mm -hmm. yeah, I know there's this fund for, you know, when I'm, you know, feeling stressed to be able to take some time off and like, not even necessarily go anywhere far, but just like take some time away, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we could just build that into our whatever 
financial structure that we already have, then it might also feel less like like something we shouldn't be doing or less taboo. Yeah, yeah. So there's some guilt that we may experience from people around us if we spend money. And I think there's also this feeling that I have I, I can only spend money on necessities because I have a finite amount of it and I don't want to be wasteful. And, you know, worst case scenario, I don't want to be without money, right? That would be the worst thing. And this like feeling of scarcity. And I'm curious if that also shows up in your life or in the work that you do with your clients. Yeah, I think a lot of folks have that scarcity mindset because that's the environment that they grew up in or like that's the environment that they were surrounded by of there is a finite resource sometimes of money, especially if you're just starting out, you know, you're still building up that wealth or, you know, building up your finances, then it did feel at one point that it's it's a finite amount and we have to use it only on the necessities. And then when a lot of my clients, right, are in a different place now in their lives and usually are much better financially stable, have, you know, can't identify that they're not in that place, but still feel that way, right? Like that trauma still lives in the body of not feeling like you have enough, needing to save all the time. And so it's like the reframing of we are not in that place anymore. And it's okay to prioritize ourselves. It's okay to spend money on things for ourselves. It doesn't need to just be on all those necessities that are still really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you work with clients on this challenge? First, we just like kind of identify the beliefs around it Mm -hmm. of, you know, what does it feel like to spend money on yourself? What is the negative belief tied to that? Like, I don't deserve this or I don't deserve good things. And so I'm like, an EMDR trained therapist. So I do a lot of, you know, identifying of negative cognitions and how to turn it into like a more positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it can come from, you know, experiences growing up where we felt that scarcity or we felt like there wasn't enough to go around and kind of releasing that trauma that we still have and hope, you know, at the end, feel better about prioritizing ourselves or using that money for things that don't feel like necessities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we were talking about money scarcity, and I'm curious to see how that shows up in people's lives, whether it's in their career, relationship, choices that they make. Yeah, I think especially in career, it could have such a big impact. I think dissuades a lot of people from going into fields like the arts or creative fields that are a little less stable, but are so important, right? Like, what will we do without the arts like that's such an important part of like I think a lot of people's lives and and cultures but you know if we are really thinking about money and like the scarcity and like not having it or the safety of having money then it leads people to going into fields that do make more money right like into like finance or into other you know used to be like being a doctor or uh, being a lawyer whatever it is thinking about you know that was like what was projected for me like you know you're gonna be like a doctor you're gonna be making a lot of money or you know whatever it is but it I think it really affects the decisions we make for even if we want to take a step back and have maybe just part-time work for some time because like maybe we're feeling really stressed or we need that break but Mm -hmm. it really affects people's decisions on doing something that 
maybe feels better, like makes people more happy, more content compared yeah. to like, I'm going to do this field that I may not completely love because it is stable and it does give me money. Yeah. I do think that, you know, after the pandemic, there has been definitely, you know, more of a an increase in people who are taking breaks or at least, yeah, not jumping immediately into another job, even though I know that is true too, that it's, you know, something that I thought about when I was working in corporate, in the corporate world, like the idea of quitting without a, another job lined up, that was something I did one time. And that was because I was so unhappy with my career and I didn't have the time to think about what that next career would look like. So I had to quit. And that was the only time. But every other time when I switched jobs, it was always, okay, I'm going to have another job lined up. <laughs> mm -hmm. That would be irresponsible, right, to, to not have another job um, without really giving thought to, like, why? Why could I? I mean, do I have savings? I do have some savings, right? I could use that. But yeah, it always felt like a risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think going from one job to the next, people often also don't take that time off in between, which I think is really important to have time in between like the ending of one job and starting something new to mm -hmm. just, you know, have that time to do whatever you need to do, rest, relax, get in touch with your hobbies again, you know, kind of get perspective, I think, again, on life. And I really tell people like, please take some time off in between. Like it is so important. We need that. And usually if it's, you know, that two weeks is kind of negligible in the grand scheme of our lives and how much we're still going to be working. Yeah. Continuously. Yeah. What is something that someone who recognizes that they have this feeling of scarcity, you know, what's something that they could try to do with their trying to move forward and, and not you know, behave in this way if they, you know, on paper do actually have enough money. Listing out things that are important to you, like our values, right? Things mm -hmm. that we, our hobbies, our values, things that make us happy and how we can incorporate that more or engage with those things more. And if it does, if it is something that requires some investment of money and, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like justifications or those things, but like, even it's like getting a personal trainer, right? If like physical fitness is a goal of yours or just like wanting to feel stronger or wanting to, you know, get into running marathons, whatever it is, like have putting money into investing into yourself, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe getting a trainer or going to a specific type of gym or whatever it is. Yeah, that's actually really similar to what Ramit Sethi says. And I, we just talked about that a little bit earlier, but he actually has a series on, on Netflix right now. That's really interesting. But he says what helped him was to focus on that, to focus on where, how money brought him joy and created experiences that were special and memorable for him. And that allowed him to learn how to spend money, right? Because he, <laughs> he was once not someone who spent money um, or had difficulty with it. So yeah, well, if anybody wants to connect with you today, how would they be able to find you? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and my handle is Healing with Willoughby. 
a muscle barber group practice and mm-hmm. their handle is steady nyc so you could connect with us there we also have a website and you can sign up for our newsletter if you want monthly blogs from us from the therapist on the team uh, and some good resources as well Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with someone who might appreciate it as well. And we will talk with you next time. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Beyond the Couch. Tune in every Wednesday, rate or review us to help grow our community and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. We'd love to hear from you. So connect with us on Instagram at Bridges Mental Health. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.